Well, on behalf of my family, we want to say thank you for all your cards and comments and Facebook posts and those kind of things uh, with the loss of uh, Heather's mother this last uh, week and a half. We appreciate that. Appreciate Jonathan. Uh, I had had him on standby, and he was able to step in and fill in for me last week, and I appreciate him doing that. They are now away with their family doing some things, so uh, you won't see them for a couple of weeks. But uh, in this series, we have talked a couple of times about uh, a couple of chapters about the divine timing and the awakening and provisioning of God when it comes to renewal and rebuilding our lives spiritually. And our task there is to always be ready, always be watching, always be willing to take those steps that God calls us to do, ultimately knowing that God is moving for his glory. And then we talked at that long list of people, 70 chapters. I didn't read it all because it take a time, but these were the folks that I called the vanguard, those who said, yes, we'll go. Can you imagine leaving what was comfortable to go to what was a mess? That's what they did. But 40-something thousand people traveled a thousand miles across the desert to go back to Jerusalem, arriving to find a land decimated by years of neglect and destruction. But they arrived, they began to settle in and to get settled back into their homeland, even though many of them had never seen that place. Now we come to a a moment in chapter 3, mere moments, uh, excuse me, mere months later uh, after their arrival. And and you can understand when you go to a new place, you have what, a sense of excitement? You're going, hey, this is cool, this is, here we are. But then after a few months, maybe reality sets in. And I think that's what happened with these folks. They came to a place where they had what I'm calling a reality check. They looked around and go, whew, we bet off a mess. We're in the middle of a mess. What are we going to do? They come up with a number of things in the passage that they do, and I want you to see those before we try to apply those this morning. The first one was this. They said to themselves, let's rebuild the altar. And you're going, why does that matter? It's important that we have our worship of God sorted out and settled, that we're going to commit ourselves to that. Look at verses 1 to 3. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, with his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the, of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, uh, the man of God. And they set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the land. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. Now, as we open this chapter, what we find is the returnees are back in the land. They're beginning to get settled into their homes. They've returned to their ancestral lands, and most of them were really just from the the greater Jerusalem area, so they weren't far away. And after a brief season, they come together and say, let's rebuild the altar. Now, for us, an altar is kind of important because it's kind of the center place of our worship. We have Lord's Supper from time to time, and it's important. But it's not of importance that it was to the Jews. The Jews, the, the altar was where they met God. For centuries, they had believed that the presence of God was in the Ark of the Covenant that was contained at the altar on the Temple Mount. Now, the, t- the ark was gone at this point, but God was still available and they could still worship him there. Now, this site was probably a place that had been worshipped for, gods had been worshipped at even during the exile, but it was probably not holy God that they worshipped. It may have been some pagan God or something else. And so what they did is they cleared the site and they said, let's build an altar. Let's come together to worship. Let's worship God the way he 
tells us to in the Old Testament. They said, let's return to what we're to. And in that moment, two leaders step in. Did you see the guys' names? They're great names. If you're going to have a son soon, these are two suggestions. Joshua or Zerubbabel. How about those? Those would be fun names, wouldn't they? But, but who were these people? Joshua was the high priest. Zerubbabel was the governor. And these two men had the job of leading God's people back to the promised land to reestablish the land. And they were going to reestablish worship of God. Because things are beginning to get interesting in the neighborhood. The people who had lived in the area saw what they're doing and they're going, we don't like that. We're going to see later in chapters 4, 5, 6 that they create problems for the people. They're trying to stir up a mess. But what they needed to understand that God's people did is we needed to worship God. We needed to come before God. We needed to be regularly in His presence and have that deep connection. And so these men led the nation to do that. Second, they said, let's do this. Let's resume religious activities. Now, I really struggled with this point on how to phrase it, because I'm not a big fan of the word religious activities. And yet you say, but Patrick, you put it in the outline. I did. So I'll, I'll, I'll own that. But I want you to understand these aren't just activities for activity's sake. These are things that God had laid out for his people to do as part of worshiping God. Now, we know from this passage uh, that they arrive probably, uh, they're here at, at other than September, maybe October in the fall. So it's kind of this time of year. Uh, and, and one of the first things they've done is they've rebuilt the altar. And then they did that, they followed that up with a religious festival. And you're going, we don't do that. No, we don't do that. But they did. So look at the verses. And they kept the Feast of Booths. We're all experts on the Feast of Booths, so we don't have to talk about what that is, but hang in there with me. The Feast of Booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon and all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of everyone who made free will offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. And you're probably going, that is so outdated. That does not, we don't do that. They did. And I want you to see why they did that. The the, the the life cycle of the Old Testament is, is very laid out. They have seven festivals during the year. Three of them are major ones. And you're probably familiar with some of them. These intersect with Christian faith. And so they're kind of important to understand if we, if we don't observe them anymore. The festival here is a week-long commemoration of the time that they traveled from bondage in Egypt to the Promised Land. And as they were traveling, they lived in tents. So if you want to think about it one way, this is the time to go camping. Have you ever tried to camp in July in Texas? You say what? Let's wait till October. Same thing in the Middle East. They would celebrate this. According to the cycle of the year, they would spend a week living in tents. They would do offerings to the Lord. This was a religious activity, but it had an importance to it. Now, remember, the people of God in this story, in the passage we're in, have just come out of what? Bondage. Slavery. There's a symbolism here as well. They're going, God, you've delivered us once again. You've set us free from bondage. And so these people are newly arrived in the land, set aside seven days, living in tents, making the offerings, remembering the work of God. And this act reveals a commitment that says this, we're going to do the things that God wants us to do. We're going to be involved in God's work and his plans. And they said, we're going to do it the way he did it. Third thing they said to themselves was this. Uh, let's replace the foundation. 
Well, that's an interesting phrase, but let me take you back 70 years. And when the the Babylonians had overrun the city of Jerusalem, they tore down the walls, they tore down the city, they tore down the temple, they sacked all the goods out of it. And they did something that you think, why would they waste their time? They tore up the foundation of the temple. They hated the people of God. They hated the God of the people of God so much. They said, we're going to tear it all down and destroy it completely and took it out. So now they're back in the land and there's no place to build the temple. They go, we've got to replace the foundation to start. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So here's what the people did. They came together. They gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink, food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians, Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa, according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, the king of Persia. Remember, they got that in the first chapter. Now in the second year, after they're coming to the house of God at Jerusalem in the second month, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel and Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. And they appointed the Levites, from 20 years old and upward, to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Yeshua and his sons and brothers, and Cadmiel and his sons, the son of Judah, together supervised the workmen of the house of God, along with the sons of Hinnadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. Now, what they're doing here, and you're going, man, this seems like really kind of detailed stuff. It is, but it's not. If you're going to rebuild a temple, what do you got to start with? You say, the foundation. Well, you really got to start with what you're going to do, which is what? They worship God. We're going to worship God. But now they say, let's build the bit, let's get the foundation done so we can get things moving. It's going to take time to build a temple. It's going to take them decades before they finish it, by the way. They're going to work on it for a long time. And here they are. They're going to do what they can in the moment. Now, do you remember when Solomon had his temple built? Do you know where the cedars came from for the main beams in that temple? They came from Lebanon. I don't know if you've ever seen the flag of the nation of Lebanon. It's got a cedar tree on it. You know why that is? They got lots of cedar trees. That's where you get them from. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, they don't have cedar trees. So if you want solid beams to build a building with, you got to import them from somewhere. They said, let's go get them. And our buddy Cyrus has given us the cash to do it with. But God's people said, we also need to participate in the process. And so they're going to begin the process of putting this together and there was nothing left on the locations. We've got to get the foundation down. We've got to get this thing going. And here's what I want you to grasp here as we move through this fairly quickly, is there is a cross-section of the nation stepping up to participate in the construction. It's not one group doing it. It's not another group doing it. It's what? All of them, y'all with me? Coming together to accomplish what God wants to do in their midst. And then fourth, notice this. Let's respond to the moment. So when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their festivals came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. David's been gone for a long time, but these still directions are in place. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people said, Amen. Are y'all following the text with me? What'd they do? They shouted! I don't remember the last time I heard a shout in this building before just now. We don't do that, do we? But they shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Can you imagine getting excited about a piece of foundation? Boy, that's pretty exciting stuff, isn't it? 
you got to start somewhere, right? But many of the priests and Levites of fathers' houses, heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, they made a loud noise too. They wept with a loud voice. They cried when they saw the foundation of the house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy. So the people could not distinguish the sound of the shout, the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great sound, shout, and the sound was heard far away. So with the altar rebuilt, the foundation having been laid and done, how do you respond? You worship. You praise the Lord. When He begins to work in your midst, when He begins to lead people to come together, when He brings us to minister together, to serve together, to go forward together, what's the right response? Oh, thank God. We're so excited. Appreciate you, Lord. No, it's Lord, thank you. Thank you for moving in our midst. Thank you for the blessings you're giving in our life. This was no somber, drab moment. It's a moment when the, the priests got all dressed up in their vestments. The musicians came in with cymbals. That's not a quiet instrument, no matter how you play it, right? And, and, and they come in and are singing responsibly. Now, that's a, kind of an old way of singing. But they, they what, to, to, just to say this is a solemn event would be completely wrong. They got excited. They shouted. They were saying, Lord, thank you for moving in our midst. Look at this amazing flat piece of ground we can build a building on. Can you imagine getting excited about that? They were. Why? Because God was moving in their midst. But notice there's more than praise going on here. Did you notice that? Flip the slide back one for me. Did you notice what happened right there in the last part of verse 12? And I underlined it so you wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't catch it, which you wouldn't miss it. Sorry. Uh, is that the old men began to cry with a loud voice, to weep. And you're going, why were they weeping? They looked around and they said, I remember when. I'm getting to be older, so I've started doing that too. I'll say, I remember when. Something beautiful about the past, isn't there? It gets so much better in our memories. It improves with age, right? Either that or our memories fade with age, one of the two. But, but there were some in that group who had survived. They were probably little, little youngsters when they were there before, but here 70 years later, they're probably 75, 80, 85 years old, and they're standing there going, I remember when we had a really nice temple, one Solomon built. They had that back-in-the-day mindset. But listen, the majority of the people there were going, God, thank you for moving among us. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for bringing us here. And I would just challenge you, don't be that guy that goes, I remember when. It was so much better back then. You know why? You can't go back then. We don't have a DeLorean. Some of you will catch that reference. We are here. Let's enjoy what God's doing now. All right. Three things I want you to see about fresh starts, and I'll be finished. First of all, a fresh start begins with God's Word. Now, notice what happened to the people in this story. They get back to the land. They're pretty, they've, they've been traveling for a 1,000 miles. They get back. They struggle back to the towns, the places where they live. They begin to set up house, sheep, house sheeping, sheeping too, keeping as well. They start settling up the land and getting things going. But they go, we got to do more than that. we got to have more than our lives. As the people availed themselves of the opportunity to return, they had broken old patterns of life. You know, let's face it, we tend to be creatures of habit, don't we? I, I would bet that you put the right foot on 
the right leg and the left leg and the left leg and then opposite every day. Most of us don't change, right? We brush our teeth a certain way. We wash our clothes a certain way. I mean, some of us even mow our yards the same way, right? Every time, because that's the way it's done. But what if those actions in life are not based on God's Word? I'm not talking about the mundane. I'm talking about the big stuff in life. What if we do what we do because we've always done it and it's not God's leading? Hmm. A fresh start, my friends, begins as we spend time, get into, and dig into God's Word. They had a unique opportunity for a fresh start. We wake up new mercies every morning. We have a fresh start every day, guys. And we have the opportunity to step out and say, okay, God, what do you have for me today? Where are you going to leave me today? What's your plan today? What's your your guiding for me today? What they did here, get this, is they looked back to God's Word, what He had revealed to them centuries centuries before. They didn't have the New Testament. They had the Old Testament. They had the prophets. They had these words. They said, God, what do you have for us? In the Old Testament, they were told, this is how worship happens. This is what's supposed to do. And that's what they did. They observed the temple of booths, not because they liked to camp, but they were being reminded physically that God was at work in them. Sometimes we have to step back and say, God, show me the new thing. Show me the new direction. And they knew, and the way they knew what to do was to say, God, we're going to spend time with you. You say, well, I don't know what to do next. Can I tell you something? You've got the answers right here. Get into his word. Let him speak to you. He'll show you what you need to do. He'll show you the adjustments you need to make, the changes you need to make in your life, the things you need to continue doing, the things you need to expand on doing. He will lead you through those. Joshua wrote this as they were beginning to go into the promised land the first time. He said this, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God's Word can speak to us, but only if we're spending time with it. Number two, a fresh start. Fresh starts expand through sacrifice. There's a cost associated with serving God. It's not free. You say, oh yeah, we celebrated that this morning. We remember the cost that Jesus gave for us. I'm talking about that, but I'm talking about the cost to us. It cost us our, our, our independence, in a sense. It cost us our, our free will, in a sense, because we say, God, I'm going to surrender those to you. I'm going to sacrifice to, the, to you. And I am convinced that my God, your God, so often when we sacrifice, he's ready to bless and you say, well, I wish he just blessed me and then I'll sacrifice. I don't think it works that way. It works the other way around. We have to say, God, I'll lay it down at your feet. He works through lives of people best when they say, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to choose to serve you. I'm going to expand uh, and, and, and sacrifice. Notice they were living in a precarious place. You're going, what do you mean? There's 44,000 of them. But they're surrounded by a bunch of groups of people that hate it. Hate, they, they still hate them, Okay. They're still living around them. They still hate them. They would love for them to be gone from the planet. They didn't like that they had showed back up. They didn't like that they had started worshiping God. They didn't like that they were building a foundation and had ordered wood to build a temple. And they're starting to, 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 to stir up trouble. But these people, as they continue to place God first, and they put their money where their mouths were, so to speak, they saw their fresh start grow. It's one thing to experience a moment of fresh start, isn't it? It's another to let it catch hold in our lives and expand. That's what they're doing here by their commitment, by their sacrifice. 
by their time with the Lord. You know, it had been real easy for that fleshly movement to die right there. They said, hey, we got our house back. We're back at home. We're good. Let it go. They said, no, we got to sacrifice. I want you to know this is way bigger than dollars and cents. This expands to our talents, our abilities, our passion. And one of the things I've seen in our church over the last few years is more and more of you as as lay people, and really there's no difference between you and me. We're just serving the Lord in a different way. But is that you're getting a, a vision of what you can do and how you can be involved in the kingdom of God. But it takes some sacrifice, doesn't it, to give some of your time, some of your talent. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. I don't talk about this very often, but some of your money as well, okay? We've got to be faithful in all those areas. One more thing, and I'll be finished. Fresh starts ultimately lead to unity. It's an opportunity to come together. The people have been back in the land less than a year. They've rebuilt the altar on the Temple Mount. They've ordered the materials to build the superstructure. They've laid down the foundation. They're ready to move forward. And as the people, get this, have come together, God is able to work in their lives. And a sense of unity was growing among them. Yeah, there are some who are going, I remember when. We don't have any of those folks right here. Aren't you glad? But that's a small group in the story. Most of them are going, God, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. There's two aspects I suspect that made this work for them. And I want you to see this, and I'm aware of the time. I apologize. But they respected their differences. Some were priests, some were not. Some were on the inside, some were on the outside. Some were this, some were that. But they said, you know, together we serve. The other thing they did was they said, we're going to respect the leaders who are going to lead us. Do you know that those two guys, and I can't remember their names off the top of my head, they were human, they were flawed, they made mistakes. And yet they said, God, you've given them to us and we're going to serve them, not serve them, but work, serve with them and work with them. This is a group of diverse talents, abilities, and they're able to move forward in this. I'm reminded of the church at Corinth. It's one of my favorite images of the church that's in the New Testament. It's over in 1 Corinthians 12. It says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Come down to verse 18. But as it is, you don't mind writing your Bible, right? Underline that word, God. This is who does it. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Sometimes we think to ourselves, well, I'm really not that important. I'm just nothing. Can I tell you something? Without you filling your place in the kingdom of God, serving in your ministry in the kingdom of God, fulfilling the role that God has given you, our church is not the same. But when we come together, and are part of the body, and fill that role. That's amazing. So the question I have for you this morning as I wrap up is this. What's your part in the body? Where are you serving? What's your place? You go, well, I don't do it. Don't look at the others. Don't worry about what they're doing. What does God have for you? Some of you need to make a decision that says this is going to be my place that I'm going to connect my church. Some of you need to make a commitment to Christ so that you can become part of the body. We want to give you that opportunity here in the next few moments.
Let's pray together and we'll give you an opportunity to respond. Father, we thank you so much for the day that you've given us to come together. We thank you for the blessing of your word. Father, what a strange little story Ezra is. And yet, God, it speaks so clearly to us in our day to day. I pray for those who maybe need to make a response of some kind. Pray you'd give them faith to do that. And we pray your hand on these few moments in Jesus' name. Amen.